Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD. And it's Monday. So you know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool bringing James McCool, PayDirtDFS.com, co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. Me and him, 15 hours, audio DFS masterclass. You can find at Theory of DFS. Dot com. Give a thumbs up in the chat. Hey, I see you guys there. We'll be talking about some stuff. James, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, what, what you've been doing. Uh, did, you said you're going to write a post. Did, you're doing you're doing one of these challenges, which I'm not a big fan of. Okay. Uh-huh. The 500, you're trying to take $500 into 5,000. I'll tell you the reason why. I, I'm a fan, but not a fan of the challenges. One, uh, I'm a fan of the ch- of, of people that do these types of challenges because it does show people that it's possible, right? So, so I, I'm I'm all for that. Of like, you know, people that have smaller bankrolls that are like, how do how do I ever build this up? Uh, especially GPP wise, they go like, you know, you, I lose a lot, right? How do I maintain? Di- a lot of people they just don't maintain discipline, but I don't like it because it just defeats the purpose of like it's one long game. It's like just make good decisions and play well, and over time the money will come. Mm-hmm. Like there's no distinct like I have to turn five hundred into five thousand dollars by the end of the season. Well, then you start making choices. Like, oh, it's August. I haven't gotten there. It's time to enter the seven seventy seven, like that type of thing, which is not how you should be should be managing your bankroll. So, so, so what exactly? What what made you want to do this? And what are you finding? Uh, from from doing so because you're playing like stuff like the mini mat you're playing small stake stuff yeah yeah so with with baseball a lot of people get really discouraged pretty quickly so like in the earlier parts of the season when especially when when bats are not doing as well and when um, offenses can be kind of scarce and can be kind of inconsistent because earlier in the season the first like two months of the season all the bats are inconsistent it doesn't matter what team it is because of weather problems, because of uh, warming up, because of getting used to whatever new ball the MLB is using this year. Like uh, all these different reasons, first two months of the season are usually pretty um, like less stable, I think, than later on in the year. Um, so I think that people get discouraged. And in my community, that, that was no different. Like people were getting discouraged. People were saying, this is hard. This is, you know, the worst season ever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I think that one of the best motivators of like showing people that things can still be possible is by being, uh, being able to relate to somebody. And I think that showing somebody that even if you do have this bankroll or a smaller or larger bankroll or whatever, that like, even with all the problems that we are seeing in, you know, whatever is happening in the MLB season, I like to be able to have, I like to be able to give something to people to relate to and to understand and to say, Oh yeah, I can do that too. Um, And like screenshot life is, I think really, really toxic in the industry right now where people like, you know, high grinders are are posting these screenshots of like $50,000 on $15,000 entry fees. And it's like, okay, that's, that's really cool. It's a great way to market your, your projections and your content, but like people can't relate to it. So I wanted to do something that was more relatable um, I did the same thing with NFL as well, where I was trying to take a hundred dollars and turn it into a thousand dollars. And that obviously turned out really, really well. Um, I just, I like doing this kind of stuff as a content creator and as a teacher, because I like showing people that it doesn't matter what your bankroll is. So long as you are playing well and making good decisions, you're going to be able to grind it up. You're going to be able to hit your goals. You're going to be able to continue to grow your bankroll and be a, a positive player. And one of the ways that I think can show that best is just to show relatable bankroll and show that you can do it even in their range. But I mean, it's not even just, just the size of the bankroll. It's just playing well. That playing well means in GPPs means losing 90% of the time. Oh yeah. Like I, I, I said it before, before that maintaining your discipline, go for the plus EV spots, build your lineups. You're going to lose 90% of the time. Most people, they get discouraged, right? They lose mm-hmm. six slates in a row and they go, I'm doing something wrong. Where six slates is nothing, right? right? And it's baseball. So it's high variance as it is. Oh, 
the best pitcher on the slate gets shelled. Oh, oh well, right? Oh, the best offense is on the slate, scores two runs. The worst offense on the slate scores 12 runs. It these These things could happen. So if you're playing with the small bankroll, big rank or whatever, it's still just a percentage. Mm-hmm. I know you're doing it as, as far as, you know, being relatable, but to me, it, everything is just a percentage. Actually, the, the higher stakes, the higher you go up, the harder it becomes right from a, from an ROI perspective. So like if, if you were to do that challenge, 500 to 5,000, it, why couldn't you do it five thousand to fifty thousand? It, it's it's why couldn't you do it fifty thousand to five hundred thousand? That's much harder, actually. Actually, well, I, actually, it's much easier to go from five hundred to five thousand than it is to go from fifty thousand to five hundred thousand. Sure, sure, and and I agree with you. Um, actually, fun fact: I would have taken down the eighteen dollar with with my lineup from yesterday. With the thirteen lineups that I entered, I would have taken down the eighteen for fifty k. Um, but like. And that's another thing that people get on themselves about. They're like, oh, well, if I would have entered this in this tournament, then I would have won this much. And it's like, yeah, but your bankroll doesn't fit that. So like my bankroll didn't fit that yesterday for this challenge. So I didn't enter it. So I I can't be mad. Like I never had intentions of being in that GPP. So like as much as I agree with you that it is all about playing and it it, it is all about how well you play and putting together good lineups and like being consistent and being disciplined. It doesn't matter what your bankroll is. I completely agree, but there is that human element of this from a teaching standpoint of like, there, there are people that want to be able to see that they too can take $500 and turn it into X amount of money. Like if if other people have this goal and you and I talk a lot about goals in the theory of DFS, if your goal is to take your bankroll from X to Y, I think that it is really, really helpful to see somebody else that you respect also go about that goal and say, okay, yeah, so it is possible. It is something that can happen. And like, I'm doing it with all the tools that I have over at the site too. So any subscriber there can look at the same things that I'm looking at, do the same things that I'm doing with the same bankroll and achieve that same result. And from a teaching standpoint, I think that's powerful. I think that being having that relative bankroll, I think is important. Now, if I would have had, if I'd have played with like my regular bankroll and if I'd have put 13 in the 18 yesterday. Um, You'd have $50,000. Yeah, I'd have $50,000, but that's not my goal. My goal is to teach people. My, my goal is to be uh, a good content creator. My goal is to make creator. as much money as possible. That's yeah, you're, well, you and I have different goals. My, my goal is to make people learn and feel better about the content and feel good about the way that they are playing. And like the, the, the ROI graph that I showed yesterday, I I mean, it's just straight up. Like the first day on the 24th, I lost, I played $16. I returned $1.50. I lost basically all of it. Uh, And then I kept losing, kept losing. I had a small win for $30 and then I kept losing and then a small win for $30. And then like, seven slates straight of almost losing my entire bankroll. And then I had a hit. Your so like, entire allocation for the slate. Right. 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 Bankroll. I mean, you're, you're, it sounds like you're playing about, about what? 3%. 3%. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Right? Yeah. 3% every slate. Something, right. And I, w- and I noted in, in my little Twitter thread yesterday that I would be playing 5% if I was playing cash games, because I, I feel that I would have, Enough to supplement. I, I would then switch it up to where it's three percent cash games, two percent GPP. Yeah, but that's small of a bankroll. Cash games are almost like why? Exactly, exactly. Why? And, and I talked about that. Even worth it. Yeah, I talked about that with chunk yardage too. Like if if you do not have a bankroll where you're actually returning anything worth a damn on your cash games, like <laughs> I mean, you're, you're you're returning the same percentage. It's just the raw. Like for you, let's say you played five percent of five of total. Of five hundred bucks, yeah, that's twenty five dollars. Yeah, and let's say you're, what you're paying uh, fifteen dollars in cash and ten dollars in GPP, right? Like even if you're even if you're your ROI cash games is let's just say twenty percent because you're playing low stakes, mm-hmm. which is really high. Twenty percent of ten bucks is two dollars, right? Right, just in the grand scheme, of, and you have no upside on that. Like you have no, it's yeah. not, it's it's two dollars. It, it's not going to. You'd rather use that money higher ROI even though it's less stable like you'd you'd rather play the GPP entries because that you could end up in low stakes you could end up with 70 80 percent ROIs you know obviously you're getting it all at once on occasion uh just it's not worth the raw money no like what 
when you get up to it, a sense of like the level that I'm playing at, the raw money is, is at least worth it enough. And even then, it's, it's even then it's it gets questionable. Well, and even then, it's still just to supplement the GVP plays, right? Like it, it's never it, for me. I, I've had this discussion in the past, but for me, cash games—the only reason to play cash games is so that you don't lose your ass in GPPs constantly. I, I, I mean, that's it. So, like, I, I think that I'm a much better GPP player than a cash game player, anyway. So why at this point in this bankroll challenge would I be dedicating anything to cash games when I think that my edge is significantly higher, especially in the stakes that I'm playing? Because I'm playing like way down stakes right now. Uh, Like, why would I be taking away edge when I could just be playing my entire allocation of bankroll of this rolling bankroll, this 3% in GPPs? Why would I dedicate any of that to cash when I feel like the upside is capped? My edge is not as good as it would be in just like grinding out these lower dollar GPPs. And that's what you're playing. You're playing. Do you not play the quarter arcade? No, no. That doesn't sound like you said 13 lineups. So it's not. It's not like you're building a hundred lineups. No, because uh, like, and this this is kind of another really important point of this bankroll challenge as a content creator that is running Counter Strike, NBA, NHL, MLB, all these different things. I don't have the capacity to do a full MME. I just don't. Like so are you I, hand building thirteen? Are you? I mean, are you just hand building? I I hand build when I can, and if I can't, then I'll use lineup HQ. Okay, and, and so like, say, okay, but you're just not building a hundred. You just right. Like I'm gonna stack. I'm gonna play these pitchers and stack these teams and give me lineups. Yeah. So I, I just go off of the models that I have at the site, and I go off of the uh, the percentages to score eight plus runs, and that's how I usually allocate my team percentages. And I, I pretty much just let the pitcher projections go. Because I think that my pitcher projections are good, and I usually just kind of trust my projection model for that kind of thing. But I do allocate differently through the teams. But I do the same thing that I do when I'm hand building. And I say, okay, well, I want this team this much, and I'm going to pair them with these other teams. And, okay, I have a lot of Dane Dunning. I should probably have a Mariners lineup in there somewhere. So I just I do the same thing, but, like, it, it's just – You have to condense your choices now. I mean, just yeah. – I, I condense my choices. I have a really, really tight core and I just don't have the time or the capacity to manage 150 lineups. And, and I answered that question in the community the other day too. They're like, why don't you do the the 50 cent or the dime contest or something like that? So you can get 150. Like, cause I don't think that I would do as well if I had that many lineups to manage. I, I think that I would screw up the MME. I don't have time to look through the lineups. I don't have time to curate things the way that I'd need to curate them, but I can do it with anywhere between like 10 and 20. So Today, now my bankroll, it started at 500. The hit yesterday brought me up to 14.29. So I have $43 to play today. Um, I will be in the $4 today, jumping up from the $1 to the $4 20 max, and then hopefully build through the 20 max uh, up until the next hit, which who knows when that will be, because I feel like I got pretty lucky to have the first hit in within three weeks. So I don't know how long it'll be, but hopefully I can continue playing the $4 until I have that and then jump up to the next, which would, I don't even know what the next one is probably maxing out all the 20 maxes, but we'll get there when we cross that bridge. Right. You're probably not moving up to the the main GPP, which hovers between 10 and whatever. And then 10 and 18 and then the top heavy payout. And I mean, I don't even like playing that. But if I I was on, if I was on FanDuel, I could play the main one. Right, but I mean that payout structure sucks, also. Right, but only because it's five dollars, it's four or five dollars. But but when sixth place is a thousand bucks and first place is thirty thousand. Oh, dude, it's brutal. It's brutal. Three hundred bucks for tenth place. It's 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 not sustainable. So is the mini max, though. To be fair, that that I was just playing, and and the way that I usually look at it, because I have to make a choice between like the twenty max contests and the MME contests. And the way that I usually look at it is because of the way that I build, I'm, I'm naturally going to be getting so many relative points if things go well for me, that if I'm going to have a lineup that is good enough to take down the 20 max $1, I, there's a very good chance that I would have taken down the mini max as well. So if the higher the prize pool is for the mini max, then it's more likely that I need to be in that contest rather than the 20 max. I mean, they're both like significantly large field contests. So I'm building the same way that I would build for one or the other and the same way that I would build for, for the $4, the same way that I would build for the $18, the same way that I would build on FanDuel for those large fields, like with, with the contest size and with the, uh, with the field and the payout structures in, in these lower stakes, man, I, I'm building first or last anyway. 
So as much as it is not sustainable for me to be playing them for a significant amount of time, the way that I build, if I take one of them down, one of these low dollar contests, I'm going to take down the biggest one as well, most of the time, or at least I'm going to be like top 10 or top 15 or whatever. So that's, that's kind of the way that I look at it. That might be a little bit flawed, but I know the way that I play and I know the way that my GPP entries go through. So yeah, but the field I, I usually try to put comparable anyway. What's up? The field sizes are about comparable anyway. So like the, the, yeah. the, to me, that's not a flaw in your building. Yeah. You're not playing small field. You're not playing small field stuff. I mean, most, most of the time, the, 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 the 20 max, the four, the $4 20 max is, is almost is enough at 10,000 mm-hmm. large, the, the main GPP, maybe 15,000 or something. I mean, it's like, it's not that dramatic of a difference. Right. And for me, it's, as soon as I get past like 5,000 entries in a contest, I'm like, all right, well, we're just going first or last. I, that There's really no difference for me between like this significantly huge. Well, okay. So there's a difference between like the Millie maker, which is like what, 500,000 entries or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like a contest that is 10,000 entries. That's a large enough gap. But the difference between like 5,000 entries and 15,000 entries, I, I, I mean, the, the EV change on that is maybe like a, a hundredth of a percent based on the lineups that I'm building. So I'm just going to enter the same lineups that I have in 5,000 or 15,000 entries. It, it doesn't matter to me because I'm going to take down whatever contest that I'm in if I end up hitting the nuts on the lineups that I build anyway. And actually, I, I didn't quite win the $1 yesterday. I was five points behind. I had Martin Maldonado, Yulieski Guriel, and Jordan Alvarez. And I just needed five points. I did five points. And they were coming up on the top of the order and Bregman grounded into a double play. I'm like, just not the double play, you know? Like the double play is the bane of a GPP player's existence because it's just like the worst. I mean, I guess like a triple play could be worse, but I don't think we've seen a single triple play in 2021 yet. Well, we'll we'll probably see 17 more no hitters before we see one of those. We absolutely will because uh, the ball is just crazy and freaking who who was it that just got one that absolutely shouldn't? Wade Miley. Wade Miley, John Means, right? That's it's asinine, man. This has been. To be fair, I, I said that like the way that I'm playing, you can still like find success. But from a non DFS standpoint, this MLB season has been whack. Like it, like it has been weird and out of whack and everything is terrible and it doesn't make any sense uh i guess it's been cool to see Degrom be just like literally untouchable with this new ball until he got injured but i i would like to see more dingers you know i just want to see more home runs i like home runs home runs are cool they're fun it's it's not as much fun for me to see batters either ground out or fly out because the velocity on the ball has changed on exit velocity or strike out and like they basically went from they went into the season with this new ball saying oh well we want more balls in play we want less balls flying out of the stadium it's like okay well anybody in the SAS community could have told you that if you were to increase the drag on the ball and make it so that less balls are leaving the stadium guess where they're going to land now oh it's going to be a freaking fly out like anybody could have told you that anybody who does stats could have told you that and uh i just i'm constantly in awe of how bad the MLB screws up situations that even they have intention to make better. It, it's, 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 it blows my mind. It's insane. If anything, they should be doing the opposite. Yeah. If anything, they should be going, we want eight home runs every game. Right. Yeah. Not that type. I mean, I think we'd prefer that. Well, I think like, as you look at the way the landscape of sports has changed, every single sport is optimizing offense. Every single one, like the NFL optimizing offense, NBA optimizing offense. Um, is soccer optimizing offense? You know better, better than I do. Eh, probably not. Not really. Probably not. Okay. Well, anyway, soccer, whatever. But it, like in Americanized sports, like the NFL is optimizing it. NBA is optimizing it. And well, the NFL is like, getting there. The NFL is still, there's still plenty of people way behind. Right. But the teams that are optimizing it are just crushing the field, just wrecking the field. And they'll catch up like, in the NBA, the teams that like optimized three pointers just shattered the field until everybody was just like, well, guess we just got to shoot three pointers. Like, yeah, you do. And in the NFL, we're going to see the same thing. Like the, the chiefs last year, I think had a 76% adjusted pass rate or something. 76%. That's a lot. 
Uh, and they that's, that's, dominate. What it should, that's what it should be, though. Yeah, exactly. That is what it should be. And the rest of it, you know, we, we get these new coaches in here. Like, oh, well, even Nick, Nick freaking Saban. Or who, who is it that's the coach of the Jaguars now? Is it Saban? I have no idea. I don't pay attention until the day before the first slate. Anyway, new new head coach of the Jaguars. Urban Meyer. Is it Urban Meyer? Urban Meyer. There you go. Yeah, yeah, okay. Urban Meyer. And he comes onto a press conference and he's like, oh, well, the, the way that you get a quarterback going is by getting a good run game. And it's like, bro, they hired you so you wouldn't say things like that. So you would optimize this offense. And he's just out here doing this. And, and eventually teams are going to catch up. But in, in baseball – like the, the hitters have figured out that it's launch angle. Like you need to lift the ball to have good offense and good results. Right. So you, hitters see, are... you see some of these, these, these swings now where like I, you take a look at guys that's like Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman, Ogani, yeah. Bellinger. Like the, if you showed someone as you, if you showed Tony Gwynn back in 1980s, <laughs> like Wade Boggs, like the good hitters, like the hitter hitters, yeah. not the power hitters, how these guys swing, they'd be like, like, dude, these guys look funky. Like, how did they ever get in the majors swinging like that? It's like, well, no, they're swinging. They're swinging completely for home runs. They are literally swinging for the fences. That is right. literally they're, what they are doing. Right. And, they and, do not care about striking out. It's not about making contact. It's if I'm going to make contact, it's going to be at a launch angle and at a at a velocity that it's going to be out of the park. Right. Exactly. And, and that's that's what good hitters are doing, and they understand that. So. I think that it is uh, that Chris Towers on Twitter has, has mentioned this, that it's an arms race now for the most effective way of ending in at bat. Whereas pitchers are selling out for strikeouts and hitters are selling out for home runs. And like the more strikeouts that happen, the more home runs are important. So it, it's a, it's a battle right now between which one is more prevalent. And the league was basically just like, okay, here you go. Pitchers have whatever you need to win that battle. So now we have hitters that are striking out like a million percent of the time. Even the Twins. The Twins have more power than any, any other team in the league when they're fully healthy. RIP Byron Buxton. But they have more power in the league than any other team. And they strike out so much. But it doesn't matter because they can score 10 runs a game. It doesn't matter well, if they the Yankees. Look at, look at the Yankees lineup. Yeah. You look at the it, Yankees it lineup matter. and you're like, like they could they could hit four home runs and strike out 15 times. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, it's for, for DFS though, we're, we're now, we're now, we're now in a world of polarized outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like these Rangers are becoming more and more polarized. Do you, do you think now that the way that uh, a lot treat projections as a normal distribution, that it's getting less and less normal, that it's getting more binomial, like just play because no one's no one's getting seven points. No one's. I mean, these medians are seven, six, seven, eights, and it's like, dude, six, seven, eights aren't going to cut it. Like you'd rather just play guys that are going to get zero or fourteen or eighteen or whatever, mm-hmm. because that's what's really hap- That's what's really happening. So, like, like, do you believe on top of that that the pre the the importance. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. That the importance of stacking has gone down. It's still positive correlation. It's still, it's still you. That's what you should be doing. Mm. But because of these, these, these like three outcome type of at bats, these polarized ranges, where it's home run, it's a strikeout or a walk or something like that. That teams are not able to necessarily rack up. Like we'll what will we'll, what will end up happening is that a team will score eight runs off of like three home runs, but your stack of five guys, uh, as long as you have the three guys with the home run, the other the other two, even though they scored points, like you'll find three hitters from some other team. I mean, like we we end up with because because all all these ranges are becoming more and more polarized. That obviously the correlation coefficient goes down because like. Solo home runs, there's no really correlation to you're not getting extra points for anyone else on at, at bat. I mean, obviously the pitcher is, you know, sucking a little bit more, but I'm not saying that the, people are gonna take this and go, oh, this means I should stack less. I should one off. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. It just just means that when you do stack, like I 
I need home run hitters. Like I, like I, like we're not. We're, the the game isn't being played enough. Where uh, Nicky Lopez in my Royal stack is going to end up with enough points that I'd just rather have you know Dozier and Perez. Just give me all the Solaire. Give me all the home run hitters. And anyone else that if they you can't hit a home run, if you're going to play a large field GPP, uh, especially on a larger slate, that it, you might as well X them out of the player. Um, I'll disagree with that. I'll disagree with that mainly because there is still a salary cap. You still have to be able to fit the dudes who are able to hit home runs. If you stack the Royals, you still need to be able to somehow fit Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, and and Jorge Soler, right? Like, so if if you're willing to take them and do like a, a four or, I mean, I guess if you're saying that correlation is going to matter less then you would be looking to do a three or four man stack, um, you still have to be able to find a way to fit that three or four man stack with something else that has the upside. Um, but I could, and, I could, fi- I could find cheaper hitters that have more pop and just, they just strike out. I mean, Especially in the outfield, we we see we see Hunter Renfro three K. Okay, there there there's there's a guy that could be a one off. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just saying that is it as important now? Obviously, the more the reason you're stacking is first off, the all the batters are correlated, mm-hmm. and secondly, is that you have to get less things right. You don't have to you don't you don't need the highest possible score to win a GPP. You just need the more points than your opponents. Yeah. So if I have Nicky Lopez in my line in my Royal stack and he gets five points, I could still win a GPP. I mean, I could still win a GPP. So, yeah. but I don't have to worry about just give me five Royals and I'm done. Again, right. Give me five Yankees. If I end up with Tyler Wade or something, then so be it. Then, then it, that's the way I fit everyone else in. Right. But going all out on five man stacks like that on lineup HQ, for instance, in the the only in stacks functionality what i do in relation to this argument is the ois i put on just guys that i don't want to one off nicky lopez i don't want to one off uh fletcher for the angels i don't want one off you know d gordon he's not in the league anymore but those types of guys that that need need billy hamilton i mean he i guess he could get there in steals uh Guys that need multiple bats and need to be on base and meet, you know, need to go four for four in order to get a ceiling by themselves. So I'm much more likely to just the only guys that I have as one offs, the only guys that I have in a three man stack as a secondary, a two man stack as a secondary, are just guys with enough power. And I don't mind if they're I don't mind if they're cheap and they strike out a lot. Like to me, the strike to me in GPP, the strikeout rate almost doesn't even matter to batters. Oh, it, it doesn't matter to me at all. Right, just like I, I know I'm gonna have a I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lineup with people that strike out thirty plus percent of the time, but as long as they as long as they can hit a home run, uh, give it to me. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's that's I think that's more of what I'm saying, not necessarily uh, to not stack, but like if you had to tr- if you if you're playing a five man stack of the Royals. Maybe it's better to have a four-man stack and not have Dickie Lopez in there, right? Like that. that's having an angel stack, but not necessarily going. I know that Fletcher's leading off, but is he necessary? Is there someone at his price that you still have the same construction, but you're, you're getting a one-off from some of the team that has a much higher chance of hitting a home run? And that's Maybe the question. Thinking, thinking more like that. But, of course, there's plenty of times where you're taking five guys from a team and all five of them get hit home runs that – that, I mean, even even the crappiest hitting cat, Andrew Knapp, is in for the Phillies. I mean, he can still hit a home run. I mean, we're not talking about that many situations where you're looking and going, going, is it worth me playing this guy or, or that guy? Because most of the time, those crappy hitters are cheap anyway. Yeah, and and typically that that's that's probably the right point to make of saying, okay, well, if I am going to stack the Royals, uh, I can either have a four man with. Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, Jorge Soler, and um, Carlos Santana, right? I can have that four man, and all four of those guys have power. Like all four of those guys can hit home run. Um, or I can have a five man and include Nicky Lopez in that. Now, if you include Nicky Lopez in that, then you can also afford a. I'm trying to think of like 
a three-man Boston stack. I mean, like you, you sure, yeah, three-man Boston right. stack, yeah, right. So, so or you could get Tatis at shortstop or something. You know, like you right. gotta pay up for your other so players. You you have Nicky Lopez so that you can fit those other guys. Um, if you do not have Nicky Lopez, the the first thing that you always have to ask yourself, and you know this, but I'm just saying it for watchers. The first thing you always have to say, say to yourself, if you're going to shorten your stack and get rid of somebody, one, does it allow me to fit the other stack that I'm prioritizing? That's like the first thing I always think. So if I get rid of Nicky Lopez and I want to fill him in with somebody else, can I still have that three-man Boston stack? Can I still have Rafael Devers? Can I still have J.D. Martinez? And can I still have Hunter Renko? Let's, let's just call it that. Two outfielders and, uh, and third baseman. So if I cannot still have that, is it okay for me to drop down from J.D. Martinez to Alex Verdugo or something like that. Can I do that and get somebody else that has more power than Nicky Lopez? Can I balance this out in a way that gives me just as much upside as if I had Nicky Lopez? Because when you are down that low, I mean, Nicky Lopez is like 2,500 bucks on DraftKings or something like that every day because he really does suck. Like he's bad. He's batting like 0 for 780 or something like that. He's bad. But the correlation that you gain from him matters when the guys who are priced down there, if you have 3K or less to spend on a second baseman, they're <laughs> like, going there anyway, right? They're, who you're not replacing getting him with. You're not replacing him with anyone that's worth the crap anyway. So why not keep him? And this isn't a question. It's not, this is rhetorical, but why not keep him in there and say, okay, well, if he gets a walk, he has stolen base potential. He can get a stolen base. He can get a run. And then that's nine points right there. Or I can try to take a, a one-off shot on this other $2,800 second baseman who has like a 4% chance to hit home run. The correlation for me matters more than trying to do that home run parlay. And it should matter for everyone more because that correlation that, you know, it, especially if you have a five-man Royal stack where you have the leadoff hitter of Whit Merrifield, if you have Whit Merrifield, there's no reason not to take Nicky Lopez to make the other stuff work. Because if Nicky Lopez gets on base, gets stolen base, Whit Merrifield comes up, hits a home run, that correlation is going to outscore a lot of the other 3K or less second basemen. So it, it's there's so much balance that comes into you know the the correlation that you are seeding, the upside that you can get from somebody else, um, the the positional scarcity of it. Like at second baseman. If you have 3K or less at second baseman, just, just correlate it. It's like catcher. Like if you have 3K or less at catcher, just correlate your lineup because like the chances of them hitting a home run, the chances of them outscoring the correlation is not as high as the correlation working out and you just like him running into a single and then getting a run, getting five points. Like that's probably higher than the upside of like a 2% chance that Jose Trevino hits a home run or something like that. So that it's it's that balancing act of am I going to be able to afford the upside of a secondary stack? And and I should say this pretty much like for me always goes into the main stack. Like I, I'm not going to use Nicky Lopez in a secondary stack. I, I'm just not. That if that that right there is not worth it. Because at that point, like I if the Royals are going to be my secondary stack and be a three man, I'm not going to use Whit Merrifield, Nicky Lopez, and like Jorge Soler or something like that because I just don't feel that the correlation is strong enough, and I don't feel like the upside is strong enough for that team. Even if it allows you to fit in the five man stack that you want the pitchers, then why not? It it might, but I'm using the same argument you're using, right? But in that five man stack, there's likely a better piece of correlation and a cheaper player in that same position that I don't need to use Nicky Lopez. So like. I would rather have that cheap player that doesn't have a lot of upside, but fits the correlation and lets me get in a secondary stack that has three home run hitters rather than a secondary stack that has like a really trash player like Nicky Lopez and two home run hitters that allows me to have like a five man where I'm probably going to have a cheap guy that's not very good anyway in that five man. So like that five man, I'd rather punt that position, that positional scarcity, like catcher or second base or sometimes shortstop where I know that I can make up the drop in projection and the drop in home run upside with a little bit of correlation. So it, it's, it's always a balancing act, but that's why you'd rather stack and have that five man than have a four man for me, because you, you lose the correlation and you don't gain anything from upside and having a super cheap one off most of the time, like 99% of the time. Right. I, that Tony Porcelli is making a, the, the point that I, 
kind of hinted on beforehand is that we're talking about guys like Nicky Lopez, who is second base, right? We're talking primarily about DraftKings also. Yeah. Uh, DraftKings in the outfield, I could, fi- I could find guys that are his, Nicky Lopez's price that have power. Yeah. Like he's like Tony Porcelli's mentioning uh, Willie Calhoun. Would, yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not necessarily the biggest power hitter either. Definitely has more power than Nicky Lopez. But we, we see $2,600, $2,800. You could Harrison Bader, done. Give me him. Like, so instead of playing, like, you have that Royal stack and you don't need a secondary stack. Maybe you're running one-offs or something. So why not pay up at second base and just go, you know, from Nicky Lopez, you're going to, you know, whatever. Altuve or something. I mean, just whatever. You, whoever's at second. Cronenworth, Edmund, who knows? Yeah. Uh, because on DraftKings, at least currently, you could find, I mean, I, I could go right now. I mean, I know it's a short slate today. But uh, Justin Upton is twenty eight hundred. Justin Upton, Nick Senzel is thirty one. Franchi Cordero is two thousand. Yeah, right. I'm not going to count Lewis Brinson, Hunter Renfro three thousand, Dalbeck twenty seven. He's first base. But I mean, look at these outfielders. Kai Tom, who just hit a home run the other day, twenty four hundred. Daza probably doesn't have much power. Torchman. 2,800. So like in the case where like, yes, you're right. I can't find any other second baseman that have pop over a Nicky Lopez type, but I could probably find it in the outfield. So why not, instead of playing the five-man Royal stack, play the four-man Royal stack, pay up at second baseman for a one-off, right? In in that scenario, play just a 4-3-1 or a 4-2-1-1 or something like that. Uh, Is it harder to build that way and when you're building multiple lineups yes but uh, the the concept that i'm and i'm coming to is based on what you're saying we're analyzing the fact that even more so than last year and i'm not even counting covid the covid year last year the year before 2018 2019 it's beginning progressively more into three outcome baseball mm-hmm. right it, it that it wasn't to that it was not like that in 2018 and then it was more, slightly more in 2019. And now it's in 2021 and we're getting even slightly more that, you know, if, if all we're going to see is, we're never going to see rallies. We're going to see strikeouts and home runs. Like how, how does that affect our roster construction? And should we be thinking more so of in on DraftKings playing more four man stacks versus five man stacks or on FanDuel Playing more things like three, three, two, things like that, uh, than stacking four, four, which a lot of the field already does. Um, I, it's I a little bit it, different because the max you could stack is four, and four is perfectly fine. So, but DraftKings, you have the extra ability to stack five, and I'm saying that maybe there are lineups. I'm not saying you never stack. This is remember, it's never always or never. Mm. I'm just saying that there may be instances. Where if you go in and build five man stack, let, if I went to line up HQ right now, give me a hundred five man stacks. Maybe there's maybe there are four man stack lineups that are actually better than some of your five man stack lineups, only because of this three outcome. Like you don't that instead of having a Nicky Lopez in, like it just to consider those lineups and don't go. Well, it's a twelve game slate and it's not a five man stack, so I can't play it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling you, maybe look more into those types of stacks and play a mix or something like take, don't just automatically go to five man. I don't care if, uh, if, uh, if Fletcher or Lopez or any of these really light hitting middle infielders are in my lineup because they're the fifth guy in a stack where if we're going to have these priced down outfielders, maybe it's just better to just have a four man stack and some one-offs. Yeah. It, it depends on what the slate is looking at for sure. Um, where, what what I will usually want to do is in the scoring percentages that I have from simulations, if there's a team that has like a 45% or more chance to score eight plus runs in simulations, I, I just want as much of them as possible. Uh, you easy, I, I understand what you're saying. You you make it you make your choices easier, right? Instead but, but of I, the, the difference between those that four man and five man stack lineup is so 
marginal that you just rather make sure you have the right team and whatever happens happens like i i'm I'm, i i view it the same way also and it depends on the team though like the royals i'm probably more inclined to take four because of nikki lopez but like with boston i mean you just pointed out like 12 of the boston guys are 3k or less and they all have power so but this is by this is primarily a byproduct of the pricing like if 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 DraftKings raised the minimum floor of a player to thirty five hundred, oh, much different. Much different, right? That the, the only reason I'm making this case is because of that. Uh, yeah, That's why sure. I said this is primarily DraftKings and not necessarily FanDuel. Because when yeah. you have, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm listing guys under three K. They're mostly outfield eligible. That like Upton, Cordero, Renfro, Tom, Daza, Tauchman. Todd Frazier's 2,300 at third base. Chris Davis is back in our lives. He may be in the lineup, right? I mean, we, I mean, yeah, maybe we're not Ramon Urias. He, he doesn't do much. Michael Franco is 3,200. I mean, Adolis Garcia is still only 3,200. Which is so dumb because that's right? good. Moustakis is under 4K. I mean, like, I mean, it just, it just seems like you could find cheap power on DraftKings. So why should you even be using the, those middle hit, those middle infielder light hitting types, regardless if it's part of your stack or not? Sure. I, and I, and I think that, you know, it's something that we need to continue to be open-minded about when we are building out stacks. And as we continue to like focus on the slate and try to figure out what the best options are. Um, I did build yesterday. I built uh Five, I built mostly five, three, but I did have some four, fours um, because, and, and sometimes a, a lot of it actually does have to do with, is there a player that's actually going to fit into this slot that plays for the team that I want to use? Like right. the, the, there have been actually problems with that on DraftKings where I, I think it was a couple of days ago. I literally could not stack two teams together because there wasn't a third baseman available. I, I think it was like the angels and, maybe the twins or, or something like that. It like, I, right. there was no, like neither team had an eligible third baseman. Yeah. And, and they both have like two first basemen. So it's like, how do you ever, you can't even put these two teams together. Yeah. And I, and I was looking at it like, okay, well that destroys any hope that I have of trying to stack these teams together in a way that's correlated and like correct. But uh, you know, if, and the other problem was that, the the angels had this like screwy lineup. I, I think um, maybe Mike Trout wasn't in it or, or Rendon or something like that. They, they were missing on the IL. So I don't even know what they Taylor Ward, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was something weird. And usually what they'll do is they'll, they'll use their like super cheap third baseman. who's only like 2,500 and I built for that. They didn't have the lineup out for lineup locked. So I built assuming that they would do the thing that they always do. And they didn't. So then I was screwed. Like th- that slate, literally, I took zeros at, at those third basemen because by the There's time no swaps they, available, yeah, by by the time they put out a lineup, it's like he, he, that's all that I have. That's the only option I have. So uh, I I do think that you have to have an open mind about the kind of stacks and the kind of correlations that you are putting together in the way that it relates to the upside of the hitters that you have. I will also make one more argument against it in saying that at the beginning of this, we talked about how projections are less median and more binomial. So when you are looking at projections, like you and I understand that when we see Frenchie Cordero at 2K, like he has power for a 2K person. Right. But projection is still going to be low. <laughs> well, the projection is going to be low, but he's still, he's still really good value on, on Rotor Grinders, right? Yeah. So if somebody is looking at that and doesn't have the same kind of intuitive knowledge that you and I do, that's not really as much of an option for them because they don't have as good of an understanding of the ceiling that comes with somebody like Franchi or Renfro or Dahlbeck or whatever, right? Like that, that is something that you and I know because we've played baseball DFS for you know five years, but other people who are maybe newer to this don't necessarily know that. So I think there's some pitfalls when you're looking at projections and when you're looking at these values that come up 
yes, you and I know, and at least intermediate players a lot of the time know where they can find cheap power. But I think that it's harder for more amateur players that are coming into DFS to look at those things and build something that you could say is like a home run parlay and have these one-off hitters where you're hoping to have a home run. Like they might take Daza at 2,500 because like Daza is not a bad value, right? Like he, he Daza looks actually okay. projects higher median than Franchi Cordero. Right. So like have they, the, we have one Ligaris. Yeah. Tonight. If he plays for the angels, he's 2,200. Like I'm no, I'm going to play for Franchi Cordero. I'm going to play. Cordero. Right. Ligaris is a, is it like a slap hitting speed guy type? Right. Of, like, yeah, so sure. Right. He's bowling base upside, but I'll That's play Watchman. Where... I'll play Cadero. I'll play Renfro. I'll play um, Lewis Brin- Lewis Brinson's twenty three hundred. Yeah, against freaking Luke Weaver. So yeah, just fucking lock in Louis Brinson for sure. Um, <laughs> but that's that's kind of the point, I think. I, as you become to be a better player, and as you become to be able to make those decisions, like you and I can on the Franchi Corderos and Hunter Renfro's and stuff like that, where like you see Juan Liguera is projecting over Mike Topman, you're like. I'm not playing Juan Lagares over Mike Topman. As a median, but actually his ceiling is 75th percentile is lower. I mean, that's how you could really tell. You just look by that. But also, if you look at the statistical projections, like yeah. a lot, if in the bat, you could get the statistical projections. Yeah. Look for look at the home run category. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's not that complicated because some some people may have like more upside to hits and stolen bases and runs and all those little points are adding up to that, to have them technically have a higher 75th percentile outcome. Right. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. I care about like, I need one swing. Give me a lot of points. Right. Right. That's what I'm looking for more in a one-off for GPPs. So just, just show me the home run column. If the home run column is 0.12 and the other guy is 0.03. I'm going for the point one two guy. I'm going. I'm going for the guy with the twelve percent chance than a three percent chance. Sure. Yeah. And, and I and I hear you on that. Um, it it is an interesting discussion to have. I, I think that it is an interesting thought to have, and you do need to be open minded about it. In a year like this, I I do want to see what happens when weather actually starts to get into actual baseball weather. And at that point, you know, everything that we just said over the last thirty minutes could just be completely mute. Uh, and not matter at all because as soon as offenses actually start getting start to get going, uh, we could see some really really gaudy scores this summer. Right. What mean, ends up happening with people right now? It's May. I mean, we have we still have weather in most of this country that that half these games are being played in like sixty degree or less type of weather, especially in the north. Yeah, it's, it's going to freaking snow in Colorado. in Colorado. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that that too. And the south isn't that warm. But once we get into July, June, July, I mean, we're going to see half the games may have a 90-degree 90, 90, 90 weather and, and humidity. Yeah. And it's like, at that point, it's like, oh, why shouldn't I stack the fifth guy on a team that's going to score 14 runs today? Because who knows where they're going to come from? Two guys hit double home runs. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. We have not seen the weather conditions get to the point in which it's not just because then what ends up happening is that it's not just one team that scores a bunch of runs. It's multiple teams that score a bunch of runs. And at that point, you're not looking for one-offs. You're just like, how did I, how do I get both these teams into my lineup in whichever way, five, three, four, four. And most likely that's going to win. Yep. And if, if it involves having Nicky Lopez in it, then uh, still could easily, he could have three points right in the center and it could still be the winning GPP. Because it let you fit everything else that you needed to fit in that line. Right. And that's kind of, that's, that's the main point that I think that I'm trying to make here is like sometimes somebody like Nicky Lopez or Ramon Urias or Todd Frazier, like these Todd guys, Frazier has that, power. Todd Frazier had power in 2001. Like, he's, he's like, he has power. He doesn't have power anymore. I, he might. I, my, power? my projections love him too. I know. I'm just, I, I like making jokes about old people anyway. Um, I, I think that it is something to understand that sometimes it is a necessary evil to have these cheap guys as part of your correlations because they just make everything else work. Whereas, yeah, if you ha- if you're stacking the Royals and the Astros, probably just grab Jose Altuve and don't play Nicky Lopez. Like, yeah, you're but projections when you build things, that's going to happen anyway. Right. So, I, 
the the theoretical aspect of this of saying like well why play Nikki Lopez when I can have Franchi Cordero there is that, that there is that portion of that but at the same time if you are stacking two teams where Nikki Lopez is the only second baseman that is available for these teams like if it works do, it works right, right. You, st- you stack the Royals with the Red Sox and Arroyo's out and Hernandez is out and there's yeah. a second base eligible player. So, like, what what else, what else are you going to do? Like, you have – if you stack the Royals and the Red Sox and you have Nicky Lopez, like, yeah, that sucks. But you also have Salvador Perez, Carlos Santana, Rafael Devers, um, Xander Bogart, Whitmer. Right, J.D., Whitmer, you, got, you're like, right, you got everything. Who cares about Nicky Lopez at that point? Everybody else can hit a home run. If there is another second baseman that is 2,100 and lets you fill out that lineup with a little bit more power – all right, plug him in. Right, but, that, but that there probably happen. isn't. There probably isn't. Okay. So you're are you writing something up with your challenge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, after I'm done with this call, I'm going to write up um, a couple different things. I'm going to write up why I am doing this challenge, um, which I talked about a lot on here. But I'm going to write up why I'm doing this challenge. I'm going to write up how I am going about this challenge, and I'm going to write up uh, the results that I have and the results that I expect to have, because. The results that I have had so far, I think, show a very good picture of what I expect to happen over the next couple months, where I'm just going to lose money until I win money, like a decent amount of money. And then hopefully I'll lose less than I won on the next one. And that's, I, I think that this is a good experiment to do uh, for that reason. So I'm, I'm going to write it up and kind of explain out a little bit of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and how I'm doing it using the models over at paydirtdfs.com because I think that that part is just as important so that I can show people like I'm not doing any magical behind the scenes stuff here. Like I'm literally just looking at the eight plus percentages using pitcher projections, using hitter projections, built lineups, profit, like that, that's all. So I'm going to write that up. It'll be a free article. Like I'll link it on Twitter. So everybody can go check it out and, and see what my thinking is. So at paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter, paydirtdfs.com. Yep. Uh, to get the forwarder because you still haven't done the DNS, whatever. No, not quite. You still get there. Small steps. Yeah, small baby steps. You can follow me at Blender HD on Twitter. Hit the thumbs up button on the way out the door. I, my my apple juice is kind of cold, kind of whatever. Uh, and uh, the theory of daily fantasy sports, the theory of DFS.com, fifteen hour audio DFS masterclass with me and James, all structured education with uh, with every concept you'll need. Game theory wise, to uh, to to think like a professional DFS player, and uh, and yeah, so uh, we we have a slate today with prob- uh, probably no cores. I, I'm going to guess they're going to postpone that. It's going to be a small slate, five games, whatever. But uh, we'll, but we'll we'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, go over a little bit, and we have a decent slate tomorrow, so that 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 that's fine. And uh, you could catch me as always Monday through Friday here on YouTube, right? Right. 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern, for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.